The following elective was recorded live at the 2023 Fly Convention. Portions were cut due to technical issues. You are in the session called You Are Valuable. And so we're going to be talking about value. You know, the world puts a lot of value on things, don't they? And we can recognize things that are of value, but that's not what we're focusing on today. We're focusing on what's of real value. One that has been made by, does anybody know what that says? Yahweh. Yahweh. Yahweh has created all of us in his image, created us for a purpose, and he puts his mark on us if we allow him to. He's created us for a purpose, and that purpose has value. And we're going to talk about that today. What drives value? I've got this piece of plastic filled with sugar water. And in its present state, it's not being used for the purpose it was intended. However, if I froze this and um, a hot July day, I might have people standing in line for this thing, right? Because it has value when it's being used for the purpose it's intended. So value is something, as the dictionary says, regard as, has, as precious, deserving importance, given worth, or treasured. The verb form of value means to assess, to appraise, to evaluate, to appreciate, to cherish, or to consider. Can you tell I'm a reading teacher? <laughs> to consider. So for the next 45 minutes, I'd like you to consider your value. Do you find yourself valuable? The core value or underlying value, the value that we are talking about is the belief that you have about yourself. The value that guides your behaviors, your decisions, your actions, and it brings us about a sense of purpose and of self-worth. To consider your value, I want you to understand that you are designed with a spiritual and physical significance for a life of purpose, relationship, and power. If we looked at this grid of time and history, as we recorded time was up there at the top, and we would find ourselves maybe somewhere in here, we don't know when time will end, but let's just say for the purpose of today that that's you, your time, your space, within all history. You have a place, a purpose. And that space and time and purpose of all eternity might be here. Because there's a greater scheme of things, and we need to keep our eyes on that, that we are just a minuscule, right? But yet we have a purpose. I love this poem that was written by Roy Leeson long ago, but I'd like you to read it with me because I think it drives home the point. Read it with me. Just think, you're not here by chance, but by God's choosing. His hand formed you and made you the person you are. He compares you to no one else. You're one of a kind. You lack nothing that his grace can't give you. He has allowed you to be here at this time in history to fulfill his special purpose for this generation. Genesis 1.26 says that we are created in the image of God. That means that we are born to live forever. And that our spirit is eternal. You see, your life is a spirit. That's who you are in relationship with God. You are a spirit who has a soul. That's your mind, 
your heart, your will, that has or lives in a body that moves through this earth. Paul says it like this, 2 Corinthians 4.18, fix your eyes not on what is seen, the body, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I think David got it right when he wrote this psalm of praise, understanding who he was for a specific purpose. And I want you to read this praise with me, will you? You, God the Father, for my inmost parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when there were yet not one of them. Do you get it? Even that DNA looks a little bit like knitting, doesn't it? You were created. And he said, everything was good according to Genesis 1:31. Your identity is wrapped up in what God has done. Not anything you do. And he calls everything good. And you might say, well, wait a minute. Look at my amorality. Look at my deformity. Look at my handicap. How can you call that good? And the Pharisees had a problem with understanding this too. The Pharisees came to Jesus and said, hey, look at this blind man. Whose sin? Was it the sin of his parents that made him blind? Was it his own sin that made him blind? And Jesus says, you don't get it. This man is born blind so that the works of God can be displayed through him. That the works of God can be displayed in us. You are created, chosen. For a purpose. And I love this little stamp. It says, you had a purpose before anyone had an opinion, right? You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You're not trash. I love what 1 John 3, 1 says. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should, that we should be called children of God. That's his intention for you. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you are called a child of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us, they don't recognize, wow, awesome, wow. The reason they don't understand that, maybe they mistreat you, they disregard you, they disrespect you, is because they don't know Him. They're not standing in awe of Him. So how can they fully appreciate you? This came to me in my story. My parents were not Christian. In fact, none of my family tree were Christian. And I lived in a really dark place. You see, I was conceived out of wedlock, and so I was their problem child. I was the one that they wished never were born. I heard all kinds of derogatory statements. And in fact, it was such an abusive home that many times I would just run to my room because that was a safe place to be. I didn't want to be used as the punching bag for the latest rage whenever that broke loose. And so it was a good place to be for me. And yet it was very hurtful and very alone. Until one day, one day my life changed. 
not my circumstances, but my life changed because two friends, two friends brought me to an evangelistic crusade where I heard about the truth and purpose for my life. That God, as he opened up the word, the evangelist said, God put a savior, a redeemer. And if I believed that there was something more to what I was living, if I believed that Jesus Christ came to pay for my sin and that there was an eternal kingdom that was planned for me, when I believed, I became a child of God. That night I prayed to receive Christ and my life hasn't been the same since. How many of you would testify of that, that the Lord's taken hold of you and your life has not been the same? That's right. Because at that moment, as David said, I love, I love what he says in his psalm, he took me out of the muck and the mire, all of that loss, all of that confusion, all of that pain. He took me out of that. And he put me on a firm foundation, a solid walk, the word of God. And the word of God is where I found my life verse. Philippians 3.13 says, forget what's behind Forget it. I'm not going to carry all of that garbage, all of that ick the rest of my life. That's not what I was intended for. Throw it off. Forget about, uh, it says, forget about what's behind. Press on towards the goal that calls you, that calls you heavenward. That companion verse that I also love is Hebrews 12.1. It says, throw off everything that hinders. Throw it off. Throw it off. Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And run with perseverance. Hear this. The race that's marked out for us. We have a race. It's marked. The lines have boundaries that have been laid for us. Run it with perseverance. Don't let anyone rob you of your life's purpose. Throw it off. When I was uh, in that part where I said, I don't want any more of this family tree, you see what I mean? Some of you might be a part of it, where generation after generation there's been abuse, there's been a life of dysfunction. And my parents probably lived just like their parents before them. They didn't know any different. But I came to a place that I said, my life is not going to be a part of this family tree anymore. Not that I didn't love my mom and dad. In fact, I continued to pray for them. And I was led to a place of forgiveness for them. And that was a little bit hard. For some of you who, who live in that place, it's hard to forgive someone who's hurt you. But the Holy Spirit allowed me to take my branch off of that family tree and put it rooted in the firm root of Jesus Christ and to start a brand new tree and say, this is where my truth is. This is where I want my life to be and the rest of my family to exist. And I encourage any of you who are in that place of hurt, where you're in a family tree that has been ugly, break it off. You've got a life's purpose. You don't need to keep living in that tree. He calls you to a different place. As a child of God, I know that as I stand before you, that your acceptance of me doesn't affect my value. And I know that your value isn't dependent on anybody's inability to see your worth. If you constantly have to feel like you have to prove your worth, then you have forgotten your value. 
I need six volunteers. I've asked them ahead of time to come on up here. We are going to tell a story of You Are Special. Some of you know it. It's a great parable of what we're trying to define here today. In this um, parable, You Are Special, how many of you heard this story before? It's beautiful. And if you haven't, okay, I need... Um, over here, and you're going to be my later helper, so I'm going to have you sit down. You're going to be a helper later, and you come over here, you guys. And we have got the town of the Wimmicks. So two over here, please, and we got two over here, and they're part of this village. Come a little bit closer, because you are a community, okay? All right, and just face these guys, because we want to let them see what's going to happen here. In this Wimmick town, we find that there were some stars that were found. And they said, these stars are great. We can recognize people who do fabulous jobs. In fact, you know, you are such a great runner. You are such a great author. You write special books and make special music. And you, you are a great runner. I saw you run. And you make great songs. And you are fast. You are so fast. You run that one competition last week. And you know, you are so helpful to me. You have great strength, and you are so kind to me when I need it. I go to you for help. And I'm just going to give you another star because you have so many stars. And I'm going to give you another star because I just think that it's fun to give away stars to people who have them. And so, so it was. There was this happy feeling of stars. But what about these? There was one who said, um, excuse me. Could I have one of those stars? Are you kidding? You want a star? I'm going to give you a spot just for thinking so prideful of yourself that you should decide a star. You get a spot. And your friend next to you, because he's hanging out with you, get a spot too. And because, you know, you're not the fastest runner, and you're, well, I haven't seen you write anything except your name. And I haven't seen you show up for any of the special things that we do. And so it is that I'm just going to keep giving you spots because you have spots. All right, there we go. And you have big feet. <laughs> All right. And so these people existed in the land of Wimmick. Now, one of the women said, maybe if I just take these off. But he found that he couldn't take them off. And so he was in a, just this despair. We have spots, they have stars. And then one day he noticed that there was one, one Wimmick who had no, no spots, no stars, turn around, nothing. How was it? Well, come on over, Anna. She said, well, you know, I spend my days up on the mountain. And maybe we should go with me tomorrow and find out why. Because, you know, no stars, no spots ever stick to me. And so he went with her up to the mountain. And as he was approaching, the master called out and said, Pancinello, Pancinello. He said, you know my name? Of course I know your name, the master said. I was the one who created you. Pancinello, why do you have all of those spots? They don't belong on you. And so the master, he carefully, he took off every single one of them. And Pacinello thought, yes, now I'm going to get the stars. He said, what about the stars? And the master said, you're not made for stars. You're not made for spots. And all of a sudden, he understood. The master said, I've created you exactly the way I've wanted you to be. 
You aren't made for them. You're made for me. Thank you for your help. You can grab a payday over there as your reward for today for helping me tell the story. Now, <clears throat> you kind of get the idea of this parable, is that you are a masterpiece. You are created, you are God's handiwork, as Ephesians 2.10 says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God, notice this, prepared in advance. You have a skill set that you are carrying inside you talents and abilities that someone else may not have. You may have an ear for music, an eye for detail, strength that can move, mind for engineering, all those understanding, all those complexities that nobody else can. Maybe it's a taste for cooking, interest for the body and health, organizational abilities, discernment to work with people. The list can go on and on because God's creativity is endless and he's put it in you. Now, unfortunately, as we search for our significance, we look for others for our significance. The way they celebrate us, the way they applaud us, the way they appreciate us. And we're drawn to that. We want to be part of their gang. We want to be part of their team. And in doing so, we kind of leave our, our skill sets behind because we want to be like them. We, we feel like, well, Let's just be a part of that. That's where we find our significance. Or we so sometimes can get derailed. Like my brother, when I was younger, I was singing and jamming to the music on the, in the car radio. Any of you do that where nobody else can hear except your family, you know? And he goes, you know, can you just not sing because you just can't sing? And, and from that moment on, I knew that what? I can't sing, right? And I lived with that for a long time until um, some of my friends, my Christian friends, came to me and said, you know, you should try out with the choir with us. It's cool. There's going to be, you know how you have auditions, right? I'll, have you done that before? And say so you go, and I said, you know, I can't sing. And they said, well, who told you that? My brother. They laughed at me. They said, your brother told you that you can't sing and you believe him? They said, why don't you come with us and try out? So it was, I, I just thought, okay, we're gonna, I'm going to stand here. I'm going to sing. And the lady, the, the choir director is going to tell me I can't sing. I just know it. But you know what she said to me? She said, there are very few who can sing on perfect pitch like you. And from that moment, I joined all these kind of groups that were singing. We won awards at state. You know the kind, right? How many of you won those awards, right? You go off and you sing. Yeah. Do you see how that could have gotten derailed by one person's comment? You have a skill. You have a talent. Seek it out. Embellish it. We can so, so many times lose um, who we are and what we compare ourselves to in the world. There's so many trappings. I wanted to share one specific one because it was so unreal to me. My daughter was getting married and of course the girls were putting on bronzing lotion because they wanted to look really nice as they walked down the aisle. They had nice tan skin, right? How many of you have done that? Nobody? Well, okay, that's what they did. I see a couple of you. Uh, three days later, just three days later, which was the kind of strangeness, the irony of it, is I was in India and I saw some women putting on this white cream and I thought, oh, do we need to put on sunscreen? 
And they said, no, this is whitening cream. Has anybody heard of whitening cream before? Yeah, it's a deal. I was surprised. I said, whitening cream. They said, well, we're having job interviews this next week, and they hire only those who look Western or European in color. And so we're putting on our whitening cream so we can look as white as we can. Now, is that just crazy is the word. We are in a crazy cycle in this world, looking to see what the latest thing is and who's making money off of us. People are making money off of our insecurities when we don't see that we are just okay the way we are. Someone's making money, and Satan is causing his, uh, casting his seeds of doubt, insecurity, and fear of rejection in us. And we need to say stop. We need to say stop because we find ourselves then in a pit where in this place, and I'm going to call it self-centeredness because we're just looking at ourselves and how we are with the rest of the world. When we have this self-centeredness, we can be destroyed because we've lost sight of who we are in the Lord and his purpose for us. It's there we lose our value. The Lord says this, read it with, with me. Some of you have heard it before. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He asks you to assess your heart. What's there? What does he put in you? First, has he put Jesus there? That's where it begins. What's the skill? What's the ability he's put there? Not that we look to others, their recognition. For significance. I'm going to share another story with you. I used to be uh, the city greeter. I would greet every person who came into the city of Shakopee. And I have a list of names that I'm supposed to go to, and I would knock on their door. And so this one man I had been trying to get a hold of for weeks. And finally, I knocked on his door, and I said, uh, Aaron Peter Andrew Peterson, I have been trying to get a hold of you for a long time. Oh, yes, I'm very busy. I travel. I said, well, I've got this introduction packet for you. And he said, yeah, um, I'm just really busy. I'm glad you caught up with me. So I went home, and I told Kevin that I met up with, you know, Andrew Peterson. He goes, Andrew Peterson? You mean the Minnesota Viking? I go, whatever, you know. And um, about two weeks later, I was called to another man's house. I, I saw his name there on my list. I'm going, okay. I walked up to his house, and he had all of these pillowcases hanging from his tree. And I asked him about that, and he says, well, it's a gag about sacking. You know, Kevin Williams was his name. Does anybody know Kevin Williams? <laughs> Not me. It happened again. I knocked on another door. Adora. His name was Jared Allen. And I, I knocked on the door. He said, hey, why don't you come in? I got some friends here. Yeah, six of the other Minnesota Vikings were sitting there. Did I know them? Did I really care? Only that they were people that I cared. But all to say this, fame, fame is only significant in the circles that you hang out with. Did you know that my husband back there used to be the national youth pastor? He used to run this stuff. Did anybody go, no. It's what, according to your circle. You know, in your high school, you might be the top dog, popular. You go off to college, nobody. You might be the town hero, but in another town, nobody knows your face. 
point in being, where we find our significance, where do we search after, spend our time. Fame and fortune takes our eyes off of our purpose if that's what we strive for, is to be the most popular. King Solomon, who had it all, says it's all meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Does anybody know this guy? You don't know the first emperor of the United States? In 1859, this guy, Joshua Norton, San Francisco, he lost all of his money in shipping in, there and said, I'm going to create a new life. And so he declared himself the emperor of the United States. He made all kinds of decrees against social ills. He made his own currency. He even wrote a letter to Queen Victoria and said, um, we could unite our dynasties. Why don't you marry me and let's make it wonderful together. He had the tailors make him some uniforms. He looked every part of a king, didn't he? Except he wasn't. You see, we don't get to make up who we are. Case in point, my brother, Jason, when he was in third grade, the teacher said, you run like a girl. What do you think stuck in his mind for 16 years? A girl, a girl, a girl. He went off to college and there was an LBT forum that was meeting at college and he said, I'm gonna check this out. And that group pulled him in, pulled him away. And he lost himself in that realm for 20 years until he came back broken man. And he said to me, they spit me out. They chewed me up. They used me. And here I am. I have nothing. 40 years old, nothing. Looking for his purpose. We don't get to choose who we are. God has created you. Don't let other people sidetrack you. We have a culture right now, and you've been hearing about it. We have a culture that's trying to, to deprogram, rethink who you are. God created you for his purpose. We need to remember not to live out of the lie that the world wants to hand us, but the truth that God has placed in us. We are his beloved children, not of natural descent, not of human decision. We are who we are because we are born of God. So it says, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author. He puts his signature on you. The day you commit your life to him, he puts his, his name right on you. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You can be sure of that. Now, I have got some money here. A hundred dollar bill, right? And the day it was created, it was nice and sleek, pristine piece of paper. You know, the, the ink prints on it, that nice shiny line. It was great. But then it was used in a drug deal, given off to prostitution, left in the mud. And then someone found it, tried to clean it up, and they used it. And it was used over and over again until the edges were worn, a little bit torn. How much is it worth? It's worth the same as the day it was created. And I'm sharing that with you because some of you have a past where you have felt broken, used, torn, but you're still worth 
the same purpose and have the same value as the day God spoke you into existence. I bet most of you thought I was going to give that away to do. <laughs> but God has given you, given you a purpose. And I want you to understand that that's what gives you value. From God the Father, he gives you purpose. The next one is relationship. Relationship is important. We are all created to be relational. We have a desire to have relationships. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, build one another up. We need to do that. We need to encourage one another. How many of you have experienced the encouragement of someone else? Can you tell me, can someone just share with me something that someone did to encourage you do you feel comfortable doing that in this group? Yeah, would you share? Um, on my basketball team, we, um, every once in a while, what we do is we hand out um, a pom-pom and a note, and that's our little encouragement for like a week or whatever, and you have to do three of them. And I've gotten really encouraging notes on how like, I don't get to play a whole lot, but I'm like the loudest person on the team, and I'm cheering, and it's really encouraging to have them Exactly. That's right. Someone has seen you, right? We all want to be seen and heard. That's the point of encouraging one another, whether it's just a smile, whether it's just calling someone out and say, I see you. I see what you've done. And encouragement is what we're called to do, except there are those that we read about in relationships from Ecclesiastes that there is no one to pick them up. Pity the one who has no one to pick them up. For they have had friends who let them down. They've been abused or in dysfunctional relationships. And to that, I want you to know that Jesus steps into that. And he says, I am with you always, always. And he has a track record in the Bible. He's come in the fire, in the storm, in the dry, drought, drought-riven ravine, in the 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 terrifying lion's den. Wherever it is, he meets you. And he says, I'm always with you, always there. In fact, the day that Jesus left this earth, after he had performed miracles, after he had done marvelous teachings, after he had rose from the dead, why did he die? Because he died as a sacrifice for our sin. After he died, he rose again, and then he continued to show himself as a resurrected Lord. And then he said, I, it's time for me to go. My purpose is done. And he said to his disciples, whoa, I got off, off, off track. I got off track, excuse me. We better go backwards. Um, how did I do that? <laughs> I think something got mixed. Um, okay. I better, I better stop for a second. I'm so sorry. Um, yes, there is a, a, the, he wants a relationship with you. Now, I wanted to point out a, a, a war that's about you. Who's good at tug of war? Up here. Come up here. Um, there is a war going on. Christ comes to you because there is a war. There is a war. All right, now, here's the deal. You know in tug of war there's a line, right? So we're going to start here in the middle. And if you pull it over that side, you win. If I pull it over this side, I win, right? Now I got a reward here. Now we got the reward. You can choose your reward as these plastic uh, monies. You can choose this candy, this gold candy. Or you can choose this $100 bill. Which one are you going to choose? 
100 bucks. The 100 bucks? Okay. Well, let's stop right now because I know you'll win this, and I don't know if I can be out the 100 bucks, so I'll give you the candy instead. How's that? Thank you. So, <laughs> I'll just say, there's a war going on, and the war is this over something that's valuable. You're valuable. When Satan comes, he's after you who are a child of God because he knows your value. You are a spirit destined for an eternal kingdom. And he is going to try. Notice here, Jesus says the enemy comes, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He knows the worth. He's not going for all this cheap stuff. They're already part of his kingdom. He's going after those who are marked, those who have a signature of Jesus Christ. He wants to pull them down. And he says, I want you. Jesus says this, even though Satan is pursuing you and a war is there, but God, through his son, Jesus Christ, in John 10, 10, he continues to say, I have come to give you life and to give you abundantly. Do you see that mark I put there? That's mine. And I'm fighting for you. I'm going to fight for all it's worth because you have value and I know how much you're worth. Come to give you life and give it to you. Think about you, your heart. Jeremiah 79 says, Our hearts are wicked above all things, deceitful above all things. And you know what? God searches that heart. He knows your heart. And you know what he wants to do there? He wants to wash it. He wants to make it clean. He wants to restore you. You know that dark stuff that you wouldn't even utter to anybody because it's so dark? He says, I know it, and I love you anyway. I want to wash you. If you confess that to me, if you confess it, if you admit to it, that you don't want to be there anymore, it's called what you repent. Why do I want to wash you clean? Because Jesus says, do you want a relationship with me? I'm here for you. And that's what gives you value, to be marked by him. Ephesians 1, 7 says this, in him we have redemption through his blood, sacrificed on the cross, through the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And that, that relationship is what gives us value. When I believe that he is changing me, Ephesians, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, read it with me, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. God reconciled the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them to be made holy, to have a relationship with you. Notice here, over and over in scripture, Leviticus, it started, be holy as I am holy. And there's no way, no way you can do that on your own. You cannot wash yourself clean enough. He says, it can only be done through Jesus Christ. Why does he want to wash you? Because he's prepared a heavenly place. And you can't get to that clean, wonderful place, that holy place, unless you're washed in Jesus Christ. Now, some people say, uh, I got my own way. You know? Inner peace. But it says, Acts 4.12, 
salvation, salvation. There's death in all other kinds of ways, but salvation exists in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. What's the name? Jesus Christ. He is the one. Jesus says, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And first Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Do you see yourself? You're God's special possession that you may not get this. This is your purpose, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light. Now, let me tell you this. If you're getting called out of darkness and you're building your relationship with the light, it can be really hard. It's a process. You may have to lay down um, some activities, routines, habits, activities, and even friends. When I first became a Christian, my parents didn't know what to do with me. I wanted to share with them so many of the things that I learned in the Bible, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit wanting or desiring that knowledge. They just wrote me off. You're just one of those holy rollers. And the wedge between my parents and I became wider empty. But that's not where it stopped, because God provided a wonderful Christian community. And that's what I see right here. When I became a believer, there were women in my church who said, hey, I'd like to make sure that you get to church. And there I found that there was a community of a youth group who there were friends who said, let me show you. Let me show you what I've learned. Let me show you. Let me hang out with you and, and show you what it means to be a Christian. We don't go hang out with all those other kids who are going down to the bar to drink. We go do this. It's uplifting. And so there's where I found that I had purpose, I had value, because people reached out to me and circled me in that community of relationship. And Jesus, he seeks you out. And he knows your name. And he says, are you going to respond to me? Some of you might say, well, what would my friends say? What about my job? Might lose my job? But Paul, in Philippians 3, the first six verses, he lists all of his prestige, all of his significance. He was great at all kinds of things, but then he says this, whatever gain I had, I count it loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything lost because of the surpassing, look at this, worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He knew that that was the only relationship that mattered. Because you see, friends, there's going to be a day. This is where your relationship with Jesus Christ will matter to you the most. Because no one's going to stand with you on that day. No one. You will stand and you will give account. For this body that's passed through this temporary. And onward you will go with your soul, your spirit. Read it with me. For on that day it will come. Read it with me. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separated the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then he will say to the ones on his left, 
Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, and they will go away to... But the righteous... That's where it matters. And he says, do you want a relationship with me? You are created with a purpose from God the Father, relationship from Jesus Christ, and then the power of the Holy Spirit, for that's who lives with us. Now, um, a science. Many of you guys have done this science experiment, right? I've got soda, I've got vinegar. When I put the vinegar into the soda, what's going to happen? Oh. Let's pretend that then that's your life. This is the spirit. Same thing. It's an example of transformative power, right? Something else is going to change. But are you going to let it? The Holy Spirit comes to you. The Holy Spirit comes to you. It's that same spirit who created the universe, the same spirit who rose Jesus from the dead, the same spirit who spoke through the disciples into thousands of tongues so that people could understand who he was. The same spirit. And he comes to you. He says, I'm going to offer you a powerful life. Read this with me. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. How do I glorify God with my body? I abide with him. I live with him in that relationship we were talking about. To abide means to be in his word. The Spirit of God unlocks the Word of God to us with a transformational power. He transforms our mind. In Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're going to find it here. You see, sometimes we are in just a one-sided relationship with God. We do all the talking. I want. Be with me. God. God. But do every take time. Do we ever take time to stop and listen to him? He's got powerful things to encourage us, convict us. If you want a one-sided relationship, it's not going to have the power of the Holy Spirit that he wants to unlock even more for you. Yeah, the Word of God. The Word of God is... Notice here, living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even, notice here, the division of soul and spirit. Remember, your soul is your mind, your heart, your will. It's going to divide that because what, if, what you bend to do, he's going to draw you back out of by your spirit. He, it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, it, we don't have time today. I wanted to do this with you. But if you can, Romans 8 Paul wrote a very good distinction between the spirit and the flesh. And as you read through that, you will see that there is a distinction between who you should be. And so I'm not going to take time to do this. I want to make sure you get to lunch on time. But if you can read through that, you will see that the spirit of him who raises Jesus from the dead is now living in you. And that's where he wants to be active and change you. Romans, this is important for you to know.
that that spirit that's in you, when you don't know what to pray, when you have felt so much hurt, so much loss, so much, you're, you're just at the end of yourself. You can't, you can't even pray. The spirit helps us in that weakness. When we don't know what we ought to pray for, the spirit himself intercedes through wordless groans. And he who searches the heart, remember he talked about that, he searches our heart, knows the mind of the Spirit, because of the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance to the will of God. He knows the purpose for you, and he hears your Spirit groaning on your behalf when you have no idea what to pray. The Spirit is in you. The Spirit also does one other wonderful thing. He shows that he's alive in you. I call it the fruits of his presence, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those come not by something we conjure up. There are people who are loving. They don't know God. They don't know Christ. But it's short-lived. These things are God-given, and they show his presence in you. And they're part of his purpose for you. The one purpose that you can live out is that God, our Savior, desires all people, and don't miss this, because it's every purpose for every person with any skill set, is that he desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Every person in this room, I can tell you that. It's your purpose, because that's God's purpose for all people. Jesus, as he was leaving, this is the one I was telling you before, he said, now I'm sending you. My ministry on earth is done, and I'm sending you. And so he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. He's empowered you with the purpose that he had. And he says, apart from me, you can't do anything because he sends his spirit to do his work. Notice Colossians says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not men, knowing that what from the Lord you received as an inheritance you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you received a gift? I just had a birthday this last week. I got a great gift. You maybe think about the best gift that you got, right? Well, the best gift that you can get is one from the Lord. It's a spiritual gift. And Paul wrote to his young disciple, Timothy, he said, don't neglect your gift. Don't, don't kick it under the rug. Don't leave that gift. Who would leave a gift sitting there? I can hardly stand leaving a gift sitting there for longer than a minute if it's for me. Here's the gift. I want you to read it with me because this is a spiritual gift. It's different than your talents and skills. It's given to God's people for God's kingdom building. Read it with me. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between the Spirits, to another speaking in different tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one as He determines. As he determines. You can't say, well, I'm going to go start speaking in tongues. He does it as he built his kingdom. Read this with me as well. It's about the Holy Spirit. It says this, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesy, then prophesy. 
in accordance to your faith. Now I just want to stop here for a minute. In accordance with your faith. This is important to me because when I was doing children's ministry, according to your faith, there is not one age where if they are a child of God, they don't have a spiritual gift. According to your faith. They're on a journey and every child, don't ever discredit anyone because according to your faith, whatever age it is, if they're marked as a child of God, they are walking with a gift. Okay, let's keep going. If it is to serve, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it. Now, you got it. Do you see this? Don't neglect your gift. If you got it, then do it. Do it with all your heart. It's there for a reason. Use it. Just do it. People, I hope during this time you understand you have value, great value, and don't let anybody take your purpose away from you. God the Father gave it to you. He puts you into a relationship, the only relationship that gives you value. And the Holy Spirit has empowered you for every good work. Amen? Amen. All right, you guys go for lunch. If you didn't get a candy, go ahead and get one now.